Jay Dilla changed my life. It's a phrase emblazoned on t-shirts, stickers, even people's skin. Now, there's a deep culture of fandom for all kinds of musicians, and hip-hop is no different. But there is not a music producer of any genre that I can think of that has inspired the kind of devotion that exists for Jay Dilla. Dilla Dog, formerly known as J.D., the Detroit native-born James DeWitt Yancey. He first rose to prominence as a producer by imparting new depth to sounds from established hip-hop acts like A Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, and The Far Side. His work as producer and MC with his own group Slum Village evoked the freewheeling magic of all three but challenged categorization, bridging the explicit, the egocentric, and the ecstatic. His completely original sound would help shape popular music as we slid into the 21st century, as his touch, sometimes just as example, enlivened such influential millennial milestones as Commons like Water for Chocolate, Erica Badu's album Mama's Gun, and D'Angelo's Voodoo. Baby boy, you can do it, take your time, do it. You get the chance to be a man in a b-boy stance and advance from the goal. Dilla was hospitalized in 2005, suffering from a rare blood disease. His illness would take his life the following year, but not before he completed his magnum instrumental opus, the album Donuts, the lion's share of which were recorded in Jay Dilla's hospital room using a 45 RPM record player and an SP-303 sampler. This act of love, this triumph of expression, brought a spiritual gravitas to Dilla's legacy, and in ways both good and bad, pushed his legend into the realm of myth. Today, Dilla's influence lives on not just as the chief school of thought amongst a generation of beat makers and hip hop and other electronic music, but as a guiding spirit to traditional musicians working in jazz and other idioms. As we approach what would have been Dilla's 48th birthday, this Monday, the 7th, I had the great pleasure of interviewing author Dan Sharness, who wrote my favorite book about hip-hop to date, The Big Payback, all about his new book, Dilla Time, The Life and Afterlife of Jay Dilla, the hip-hop producer who reinvented rhythm. I wondered if you would talk about the innovation, the way he played with time, that has struck a, a bell that can't be unrung. Right. Oh, I love that. You're a poet. Ah, uh, well, I love talking about this. Um, and uh, part of the reason I love talking about it is that nobody really talks about it in this context. So what does a beat maker, what does a drum machine programmer have to do with in, in the same league as some of the greatest musicians of our, of our century? Well, I explain it this way. The European tradition of music making and composing and playing sees time sees musical time, sees rhythm evenly, right? Every beat is counted evenly. Mm -hmm. One and two and three and four and one and two and three and four. And we call that straight time. 
every beat is even. And you hear it. You hear it in symphonies and opera and folk music uh, and in American music in, you know, the 19th century. I had the blues so bad, I right down on my floor. But the presence of the African here in America, right? A new African-American way of relating to musical time was brought forth. It's a retention in a way of something called polyrhythm from Africa, where you have multiple pulses playing at the same time of different counts, right? A two count and a three count at the same time. In America, in addition to this idea of even beats, we have uneven beats, this idea of something called swing. One and two and three and four and one and two. Very alien to the European practice. But American music is suffused with this. And it comes to us from ragtime, it comes to us from the blues, and ultimately from jazz. It seeps into rock and roll, into soul, into funk, into hip-hop. It's everywhere. A tisket, a tasket, I lost my yellow basket. And if that girly don't return it, don't know what I'll do. So the two main time fields, right, that our popular music has is straight time, and swing time, even beats and uneven beats. And everybody you can think of worked in this medium. Louis Armstrong is important, for example, because he's the person who kind of helped encode swing into our popular music. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans and miss it each night and day? And then Frank Sinatra could swing and Billie Holiday could swing. And Bing could swing. And uh, Little Richard could swing, right? But in 1998, James DeWitt Yancey in Detroit found a way on his drum machine to slam swung rhythms against straight rhythms simultaneously in ways that put them in a kind of rhythmic conflict that feel to us like they're the words that we use to describe his beats limping drunken loping uh stumbling stuttering this is that dilla feel And sometimes it's described as swing, but it's not swing, actually. It's, it's the conflict between multiple strands of straight and swung rhythms that could only have happened on a machine. And maybe that would have meant nothing. Maybe that would have just been some strange thing that happened in a basement in Detroit. The difference is that other electronic musicians started using that time field. 
then traditional musicians started trying to emulate that machine conflict. So Questlove in the studio with D'Angelo making Voodoo in 1999 and 2000, along with Pino Palladino, the bassist, putting themselves in degrees of micro-rhythmic conflict with each other. It's never been done before. And then when the jazz world yes. hears that album, they respond. And suddenly Dilla has got acolytes in the jazz world, like Robert Glasper, mm -hmm. who goes to the basement in Detroit, who sees Jay Dilla do this stuff. So it just begins to expand outward until this point now, more than 20 years later, where we have musicians, electronic and traditional, all over the world working in this conflicted time field. And I guess for me, writing this book, what I really began to see, or wasn't seeing really, was JD being credited, J. Dilla being credited for, for that innovation. That's such a... You know, that's such an uh, act of service. You know, that's reconciliation because everybody's talking about him, but they're not actually getting about what he brought and they're not actually pointing to how his innovations are like inextricable from the air around us now. Right, right, right. Exactly right. And another thing that doesn't get talked about enough, and like I said, I just started Dilla Time, but. The thing that always struck me the most, and I think was most instructive for helping me understand what he did with time, was listening to him rap. <gasps> I think he's one of the most underrated MCs of all time. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Thank you. I feel that's uh, like I feel like I'm with my people right now. <laughs> Say that. Listen, listen. His genius was not limited to what he did on the drum machine. He also employed his particular genius to emceeing in a lot of different ways. First of all, he was deeply funny. Oh, like, so just, funny. I mean, he has a lyric, again, for the audience who may not have heard this. He's talking about a friend in his neighborhood who has a lower quality or lower make or model of a Mercedes Benz. And so what he does is he puts fake plaques on the bends. So he says something like, and I'm probably going to misquote the lyric, but he says, you funny, dude, because you roll a 500 that's really a 320, right? Should have let somebody else hook it, meaning should have let somebody else put those plaques on there. Right. Numbers look crooked like King Kong shook it. Come on. You funny, dude, because really you think you could do me when you roll a 500. That's really 320. Should have let somebody else hook it. So funny, and yet rhythmically what he's doing, and again, I have to give a shout out to T3, his partner in Slum yeah. Village, mm -hmm. who was equally ingenious with the rhythms, just in incredible creativity. He has another line, 
And again, uh, uh, sorry to keep quoting him, but I, this is a this is a passion. Yeah, it's almost like a Mobius strip if you've ever seen one of those things. Something that folds in on us. And he says, "MCs they don't rhyme and ball. They're lying to y'all. They're dying to ball and rhyme. We do all the time." MCs they don't rhyme and ball. They lying to y'all. They dying to ball and rhyme. We do all the time. So it's like he takes a line and says it one way, and then he reverses it to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Whoo! Genius, genius, and funny, and a little mean. Because sometimes, as an MC, you have to be a little mean. Yeah, and also low key. A lot of people ran with that in their styles on the mic. I, I remember. Who do you think? Buster Rhymes is number one. Buster is really number one to me. Yes, there's a line. Now he still does it, but Buster went from "Baba the Booty Guy" to like quiet, granular rhyming. That's true. Yeah, I think he got that from his brushes with Dilla. Wow, I never even thought about that. I never even thought about that. And it's funny because he rhymes like that on one of Dilla's, you know, on yes. the, sort of the last Dilla beat that he rhymed on. Right. I can't hold the torch. Right. Wow. Okay. Okay. Cook in the kitchen and we make the thoughts connect. You forced to humble yourself. Give me my big respect. You hurt in the game when your sound off. You know, legend in this. That's why I move like a boss. You know, you better be tight because you could get tossed for sure. Know what's up? I come correct money long because I. I'd gotten the uh, the seven inch box set of Welcome to Detroit because I love that record so much. Yeah, and I was just trying to break down how ingenious his flows were all over it, and just you know the way he in, in, uh, upends so much convention and displays so much flavor and and, and Detroitness. Detroitness. Yeah. yeah, Detroit's a big part of this book, right? Um, it's it's a biography of Dilla, but it's also a biography of Detroit. And Detroit music. It's a biography of Black Detroit uh, and how Black Detroit also had to deal with the grid. Yes. Conflict in the grid. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember, listen, I went to college in the 80s and that I think when I was 18 or 19 years old, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X for the first time, Mm -hmm. you know, as this young Jewish kid coming from the suburbs outside Washington, D.C., you know, so I started listening to his speeches, and I remember this one speech of his from 1963, where Malcolm X is talking about the March on Washington, and he's trying to say how the March on Washington was a grassroots thing. It didn't start with Martin Luther King and A. Philip Randolph. It started in the streets. He said, you were talking this March talk on Hastings Street. And then he says, is Hastings Street still here? You was talking this March talk on Hastings Street. Is Hastings Street still here? On Hastings Street. And I never understood what he meant by that. Is Hastings Street still here? What do you mean, is the street still here? I didn't realize until Detroit came into my life that Hastings Street was, this was, think about this is the central artery of black Detroit. Hmm. Artery, like blood supply, cultural blood supply. Meaning that all of the great music that we heard on Motown records, those acts got their start in Paradise Valley, of which Hastings was the main drag. Mm -hmm. And it was completely wiped off the map. A black neighborhood in Detroit, the main black neighborhood in Detroit, completely wiped off the map to build what? A freeway. And, uh, you know, that to me was really important to talk about because it's obviously not just a metaphor for his kind of broken grid uh, rhythms, but it really did affect his family's life. His family was from Black Bottom, Paradise mm-hmm. Valley. 
So that was, that was super important. I thought it was masterful to start to start with that and just show how these, how these grids and these competing worldviews shape lives and influence things that were never conceived of at the time. That was Sound and Vision. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this podcast at kexp.org backslash sound. Thanks for listening. Working on it. Working on it.